This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, Professor Ward. Scott is now Coach Hogg for a while here. Coach Hogg's locker room on Mondays. And we are in the, nevertheless, the manly Warthog Man Cave. Inside the Milton Law Studio, protected by crime prevention 24-7-365. Get yourself a doorbell camera. Do something. Stay secure. And, of course, patronize all our good friends you see scrolling by on the screen here who help us make this production come to you. And we thank our silent sponsors. We have some guys who are uh, silently kind of help us keep the production at high quality. I want to appreciate all of them, and they know who they are. And, you know, every, anytime anybody wants to pitch in a little bit, that's okay. We'll take that. Cards and letters and all that business. Um, well, 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 I got to give a shout out right away, starting off right away to our gymnastics team. And, you know, it was a fantastic uh, competition. I agree with my good friend, Freddie Weeby. I will never understand gymnastics scoring. I, I just, I, all I know is we came in second by a hair. Oklahoma, which seems to have been winning everything recently in gymnastics. And I don't understand how we did it, but I know if we'd had uh, our, our great star, um, uh, the Thomas girl out there for all the events, we probably would have won. She was only there for a couple, but she scored a perfect 10. And that 10 qualifies her as one of two other people, three people who've ever had, I think, 23 10s. So Trinity um, Thomas, we'd have had her there. Maybe we could have uh, mastered this mysterious scoring uh, system that used the gymnastics uses. Uh, it's sort of to me like ice skating. You know, get picky, picky, picky. Boy, are they picky in ice skating? You know, oh well. Every so you look at it as a, a as a, as somebody in the stand. Wow, you know. Oh no, no. Well, you know, there was a little twitch here and a twitch there, and I get it. You know, I get it. It's very high, high level. Uh, Florida baseball and softball. I got to tell you, I saw something happen in Florida baseball yesterday that I didn't ever see before. We had the pitcher who is a fantastic hitter. Um, I can't, I never, I never have heard of before a pitcher who holds the home run national leadership right now. I think it's 21, 22 home runs. Guy's fantastic. But coming off the mound, the pitcher, enthusiastically having shut down a rally by Georgia, pumped his fists, not at the Georgia bench, uh, but uh, uh, looked at him as he did. And, oh, boy, the umpire uh, got on him about that and threw the flag, so to speak. I've never seen that before happen in uh, baseball, but it happened. And uh, Gators once again pull off a um, – I don't know what you call them when they do this, but that home run hitter is really something – uh, I'd say his name, except I'd stumble over too many syllables. Y'all know who he is. The NBA. My golly. The NBA. 
as a friend of mine said, who was a basketball player in the Pete Maravich days, um, who tried to card Pete Maravich. Uh, he was a Gator, Boyd Welch, my good buddy, uh, um, and never could guard Pete Maravich, of course. And Pete Maravich, by the way, scored all those points before there was a three-point shot. And basketball was played much differently then. And, and um, we're going to get into that a little bit now about the NBA series. If you want to watch a track meet, it's, that's what it is. Basketball has um, – I agree with Jim Murphy. There's no way that warranted an injection from the game. It was just ridiculous. But there you go. Uh, we're talking about the Gator game now where the pitcher got chunked. But um, you watch this basketball now in the NBA, and it's exciting. I recommend you watch it because it is a track meet with people taking three-point shots. That's basically it. A track meet with people taking three-point shots. Um uh, but there's a history to this, and I kind of researched it. Um, this now, if you're watching this NBA, uh, you're reaching, watching the most finely tuned offenses in NBA history. Um, this is some of their data. According to effective field goal percentage, and this is according to analysis that's done by the journal, uh, which weighs the relative value of three-pointers and twos, players shot in the NBA at the best rate, 54.5% since the NBA's introduction of the three-point shot in 19, well, the three-point line in 1979. Um, That's over half. They're making more than half of the shots they're taking and they're three-pointers, occasionally twos. But the average team in the NBA with this new NBA uh, three-point arc, scored 112.1 points or 100 possessions. And that's the highest mark ever recorded. So what in the world is going on? Well, these coaches have learned the value of the three-point shot. And I got to tell you, look at how that helped Iowa, that great three-point shot uh, shooter they had, upset South Carolina. And, you know, Iowa had a very good uh, way of playing South Carolina. They said, we're going to back off and stop those big people down low. That's where South Carolina women's basketball was getting its points from the 6'5 ladies down low. So they all ganged up. Iowa all ganged up on those ladies and let South Carolina take as many three-point shots as they wanted to. South Carolina was not accustomed to taking three-point shots. Their girls hesitated. They had gotten to where they were on the basis of down-low shots with the big ladies. So Iowa sagged and just let them shoot, which they didn't do very well. And Iowa, of course, could do it darn well. Now, 
Tennessee saw this, and Tennessee defended the tar out of the three-point shooters. Got after them all over the place and frustrated them, and you saw the outcome of that. I think the University of Florida ladies team and the men's team, I've been hollering for them to shoot, shoot, shoot. Run, 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 and shoot, shoot, shoot. Florida doesn't have any power down low. Quit thinking that way. Pop those shots. Pop those shots. So this is what the NBA has learned to do. Now, that's not to say they don't have big guys down low, but they're three-point shooters. And Golden State uh, sort of epitomizes this. Mike Brown is the Kings' first-year coach. Brown began his head coaching career with the Cleveland Cavaliers during LeBron James' first stretch with the franchise. And then he moved on to Kobe Bryant's Los Angeles Lakers. And Brown's teams tended at that time to be rugged defense first outfits that relied on James and Bryant's playmaking uh, to keep them in this game. But when uh, he took an assistant role with Golden State, he learned from Steve Kerr a lot of stuff. He said that's where he really learned it. Uh, you build and sustain a collaborative culture, uh, and you work with running the floor and shooting these three-point shots. And uh, Curry is the one who really set the standard for this, his reputation and record book. He's the best long-range shooter in the NBA history. And furthermore, he has a way of finding sideline-to-sideline teammates and swerving around screens. And uh, this is the way in which they now play that game. They don't even have the Sacramento Kings, for example, they don't even have any certain future Hall of Famers on their roster, Uh, at least none that can be identified yet. That's not what they're doing. They're not going and getting the big uh, guy down low, the Shaquille O'Neal, that type of person, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, they are managing the game from beyond the arc with some fantastic shooters who and running that doggone. I tell you what, they are in tremendous shape. I about concluded that they are the best athletes uh, we got on the planet right now. They are, they are crazy talented in shape. Even the big guys can run that floor. There's no more standing around and setting up and running the weave out there to uh, beyond the perimeter until somebody sets a screen and all that. They don't do that. They ain't got time for that. And boy, do I endorse that type of game. Um, this is just the way it is. The, the, the guards are shooting up in the high thirties, low forties. Uh, they're popping them when they're coming down and letting them go. Um, it, it is, it is really something to watch. I really recommend uh, that you take a look at basketball. And by the way, softball and um, boreball baseball here is not boring now. Uh, these teams are scrapping and fighting all the way through to the end. And I'd say the pitching's a little weak with the softball, Lady Gator softball, but the uh, hustle and the attitude isn't. And the pitching and everything from top to bottom is pretty darn strong with the Florida baseball team. So anyway, if you haven't looked at it yet, take a look at these playoffs. And I think, you know, we've got to find a way to play basketball that way. 
just think of how it started out with girls. In my day, the offensive girls stayed on one side of the half-court line. The defensive girls played on the other side. Neither crossed the half-court line uh, because I guess the women were considered to be, quote-unquote, uh, the weaker species. Anything but true now. And when our coach here uh, for the Lady Gators had a good year, not this last year, but the year before, we had a fast set of guards that could run that court and pop that ball. And I think that's what we need to start looking for. The big ladies are okay, and they're hard to find. Uh, but, you know, think about having a racing – think about a track team that can shoot threes. That's the way to look at it. You know, in Coach Hogg's locker room, I run across some strange things. And this is probably one of the strangest things I've run across. I wanted to pass it along to you. You know all about global warming. I don't know whether it's called global warming anymore or climate change or you tell me. I don't know. Can't keep up with it. I just know that they can't get the local weather right. I mean, how in the world can they get the world weather right eons and eons and eons of time? Um, But Dartmouth, of all places, is another one of these um, Ivy League colleges. It has concluded. I get this. I mean. I don't, I'll just pass it along to you. It makes no sense to me. A Dartmouth study has concluded um, that climate change in the form of global warming has increased the number of home runs hit in Major League Baseball. Huh? Uh, this is a CNS report, CNS News. A Dartmouth study concludes that climate change in the form of global warming has increased the number of home runs hit in Major League Baseball games. It even has a name. The climate ball era. Huh? The climate ball era. This is an era where higher temperatures due to to global warming has increasingly determined the outcome of games. This Dartmouth study suggests it has. The study is called Global Warming, Home Runs, and the Future of America's Pastime. It was published Friday in the Bulletin of the American Metrological Society. And it concludes that climate change, are you, are you ready? Stay seated. Are you ready? Has produced more than 500 extra, how we say it in Lake City, extra home runs since 2010. And furthermore, 
the study researchers go on to predict that several hundred additional home runs will be hit per season, per season, due to climate change in the years to come. Hey, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just, uh, I'm just passing along to you. I, I, I thought, wow, gee, Merry Christmas. Oh boy. Well, there's lots of other things you can take a look at in Coach Hall's locker room. There was a tremendous tournament at Monaco. You know, what is Monaco? It's a fantasy place to live. The thing is three miles long. And I think it's about half a mile wide. And I tried to map this out in my mind. It's about like, well, you know, go, go pace off three miles and go pace off half a mile wide. You got Monaco, the principality sandwiched between Italy and France along the Mediterranean. But every year they have a great clay court tournament. And it was exciting. Tough on that clay because you got to be have so much stamina. So next one is going to be, they're making the clay tort circuit now. And they'll be going to um, Paris, France at the end of May uh, for the French Open. So I wanted to throw that in there too. All right, let me take a little sip of Mr. Wright's coffee here. See Mr. Wright? I'm going to cover a local issue now, which I've been aware of and I've been kind of ignoring because it's the same old, same old. And let me cue you up as to what it is. It's the eternal. I don't know. Let me pick this word. The eternal. Surveillance of the law enforcement profession. Now, before I get into this, I'm going to tell you that I have no sides on this, with the exception that I have studied the relationship between governments and police departments and sheriffs. For a long, long time, once upon a time, I was the chair of a weed and seed task force committee. Got to know everybody. And I observed these relationships over a number of years and over a number of police chiefs and sheriffs. And suffice it to say that, and everything I'm going to say, you can dispute, you can disagree with, you can challenge, you can refute, 
Look at what's going on with the city of Gainesville. The police department is a political football. And we focused on canines, but there's been other issues. Been issues like the militarization of law enforcement, helicopters, all this kind of stuff. Across the nation, it's an issue. So much so that across the nation, there's an exodus from the profession. I've had sheriffs tell me, and there are more sheriffs than just this sheriff from this county who's told me this, that they have had to lower the standards on the applicants to the profession to even begin to get applicants to the profession. They've had to look the other way at background checks they would not have looked the other way in another day. I personally know I'm not going to be at least five or six sheriffs personally pretty well. I personally know I don't know how many tremendous number of law enforcement people in municipal police departments. And I've done ride-alongs. And on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board is published the narrative of one of my ride-alongs. Once a lot of time in my younger day, I worked out with the police, GPD police, in their street fighting squad. And we threw each other around on the mat down at the GPD and everything else. So I knew all those guys. I coached some of them in football. I taught some of them. In the classroom. At one point, I, I taught practically all of the University Police Department at Santa Fe. Jimmy Ward, who was the police chief at Santa Fe, a really good friend of mine, great guy. Retired now. So I've got some experience with what I'm going to talk about. And I've been watching the, what I've called today's show, The Trial by Media. And this trial by media applies not only to what's going on here locally with police organizations and sheriff organizations, 
but nationally as well. Law enforcement has become a political football. More so probably than ever in my lifetime. Where people who have never done a ride along, never been a cop, never been thrown around on the mat with guys who are on the street fighting team. No more than we do. I don't know where they got their knowledge. Out of a political manual? What's their objective? To defang the cops? We've never been able to get on a public records request a picture of the twig poking out of Bradley's eye. It's there. I've got a copy. I've never, never shown it on this show. We didn't get it from public record request. They don't include it. Well, why not? Well, you, you answered the question for me. Why not? I don't know. I'm going to take a break here in a couple of minutes from the first half of the hour. And the second half, I'm going to get into, and it's class, and you're going to listen to me, the professor, if you're interested. I'm going to talk about what I think is going on in this community. And I want you to be aware that you haven't heard all the story. And I want you to be aware that the press is being played. In my humble opinion, I'm never wrong. The press is being played. And there's a couple of jokers in this deck who are really mysterious characters. At least one, for sure. He's no newcomer to this game. It's Brian Kramer. He was one of my students as well. He knows I know. His behavior in the Drotos-Ross-Bosshart situation is more than passing strange. It has a lot of unanswered questions that were kind of put to rest by a mediation agreement, word tells me, conducted by Rod Smith for quite a handsome amount of money. And then a gag order that you can't talk about it since we settled it. And in that gag order are locked the secrets. Now, there is a federal civil rights thing going on with another attorney. And you've heard us share with you what that is about. And that's posted on War Top Bulletin Board. So I'll make a few comments about what I think is going on now with the so-called curious subpoenas sent by the state attorney's office 
to the sheriff's office. When the state attorney sends a subpoena, it's criminal. We've already got an example of a civil case that was criminalized by the state attorney's office. The Drotos-Riles argument with Bosshart was over commissions, not trade secrets. And a party to the argument paid for the investigation the state attorney signed signed off on. If I've got it wrong, just issue a correction. We'll be right back on the words God follows after the weather, and I'll go into this a little bit more with you. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Hey dads and kids, join head coach Billy Napier at the Gainesville All-Pro Dad Experience. Saturday, April 22nd at 9 a.m. at the University of Florida Sanders Practice Facility and Fields. Learn fatherhood tips and participate in activities with your kids while rotating through stations on the field. It's only $25 per family, so register today at allprodad.com slash events. The Gainesville All-Pro Dad Experience is brought to you by the Florida Department of Education, Dairy Council of Florida, and Tyson. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On-the-Spot Dry Cleaners, r r Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, Thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. 
I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward's Weather Report brought to you by Lewis Oil. Yes, that is fossil fuel they pump out of their hoses, so please patronize them. Well, 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 my big concern here by Windy Hill Farm inside here, the Manly Warthog Man Cave, is a drought. We are now still hauling hay. Um, We had a young calf. I didn't know if I was going to come on the air this morning, get out this morning. Um, Very unusual. Usually they don't do that. Maybe looking for something besides what their customary food source is in the pastures with their mamas. We'd never known it because it was back on the fence line by the back of the woods. The mama was standing there crying all night long. And, you know, the calf, having gotten out, couldn't find its way back in. So there might be rain somewhere, but it ain't here. And what that invariably leads to is a need for yours truly, don't laugh, to do the naked rain dance. The problem with yours truly doing the naked rain dance is that once the rain starts, I ain't going no way to stop it. So I start getting all these hues and cries or make it stop. And I tell them that's why you don't want me to start. But generally speaking, when I do the naked rain dance, it does rain and rain and rain. So I got to tell you, it's getting bad enough to where I may have to do that naked rain dance. It might be raining all around us, but it ain't raining here. Well, my good buddy says, if I put the clothes back on, maybe it'll stop. But I ain't found that to be true, Ken. So we're sort of having fun, but seriously, Central Florida here up North Piney Woods, we got it very, very dry. So, nevertheless, I may be called into action. Who knows? Well, now I'm going to get back to my analysis here of what I think is going on. And I had been ignoring this because uh, there has been things written and published, for example. Uh, a good friend, Jennifer Cabarrus, covered it. Um, some people inside the sheriff's office complaining and they're filing this and that. I never paid much attention to it, and here's why I didn't. I have been the Senate president at a college. And I know that when presidents come in, when governors come in, 
they can make wholesale staff changes and frequently do. In the community college system, which I'm familiar with, all the power is vested in the president's office. And then that president shares it as he or she sees fit. At Santa Fe College, we had something called shared governance. Shared governance was a concept where the president need to share the rationale for the decisions he or she made. In this case, it's always been he's with the Santa Fe Senate. Now, it behooves me to take time out to talk about the Santa Fe Senate. Unlike all the other Senates in the country, in colleges, two and four years, exception maybe one, Santa Fe's College Senate is a college-wide Senate. Now, pay attention. This is important to understand. The faculty in any college and the administration in any college can't stand each other. So the college presidents live in fear of rebellion by the faculty. And the faculty going to the press and using the press to complain about the college president. You see it happening right now at the University of Florida. The faculty senate, and it's a faculty senate. It's not a college-wide senate. I'll explain what a college-wide senate is. So the faculty senate goes to the press and complains about the president. Presidents generally find a way to deal with that. One of the ways is they develop a very strong public information office and tell their side of the story. Because the disgruntled faculty, and they're always disgruntled, are not going to tell the president's side of the story. I never known them to. Now, the reason that Santa Fe College is a college-wide Senate is because when Alan Robertson was the president, the faculty went to him and said, well, you know, we don't have a Senate. Mr. Robertson's past. He was a great man. Guess what? He didn't want a Senate because he knew what the, the, the faculty would do right away. They'd start beefing to the press. So he said, okay, I'll give you a Senate. But I'll make it a college-wide Senate, which means administrators will be in the Senate too. And the reason he did that was to keep the faculty under control. And when I became the Senate president, the first thing I realized I had to do was get the faculty and administrators to get along in the organization I was president of. And I did that. 
to the extent that the successor to Robertson, Mr. Larry Tyree, trusted me completely. Years later, I learned that when the new president, Sasser, came in, the Council of Presidents of the other colleges in the state had been telling Sasser, you better watch that, Ward Scott. What he's really trying to do is form a faculty union, which I was never interested in. I tell you all this because I ain't no newcomer to this stuff. And I've been reading about disgruntled law enforcement people inside the sheriff's office. What's new? What is new? They're always disgruntled people. Trust me, I know that. Okay? And there's a process for settling the disgruntlement. And it can be challenged. In this law enforcement world, they have something called a Bill of Rights, Cop Bill of Rights. They've got unions. They've got the Police Benevolent Association. They've got the Fraternal Order of Police in law enforcement. They function kind of like unions do in the college where I was the Senate president, but we didn't have a union. And they thought I was going to form one. Oh, and the press loved that. Ward Scott's going to form a union, then he'll really be a pain in the butt to the presidents. Who ain't going to do that? And Santa Fe still doesn't have a union. University of Florida does. It also has a faculty senate. So I wasn't paying any attention to the following things that were coming out in various publications. Six things is this. Uh... Yeager's complaint alleges that her, quote-unquote, this is a quote in the, written by Jennifer Guevara, her, quote, nonverbal communication and tone of voice, end quote, in a conversation on February 7th, quote, indicated she was displeased with having to converse with Yeager, end quote. Yeager wrote, that butcher, quote, interrupted me several times to make unnecessary comments, end quote. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeager wrote in his administrative investigation report that when butcher had not scheduled a meeting by Monday, February 13th, he arranged to meet with her that afternoon. Yeager and Butcher both brought witnesses to the meeting, which Yeager described as, quote, corrective counseling, end quote. Yeager said that Butcher used a defiant tone, quote, unquote, with him. And, and when he told her he was going to read 
a prepared written counseling out loud, she, quote, again, in a defiant tone, end quote, asked to read the statement herself. And then one of the things about Jennifer Cabrera, she puts every single nitty-gritty detail in the narrative. You'd never find this in the Gainesville Sun. But Jennifer's this type of person who puts all this stuff in there. I'm glad she did. Because this is all routine stuff I have heard in personnel issues more than once when I was a Senate president. I have sat on chaired two investigations. We had an investigation one time. We had court reporters and Channel 20 in there. I was a chair of it. Now, so I'm reading along this stuff and I'm thinking, and but keep in mind now, Clovis Watson Jr. was one of my students. Brian Kramer was one of my students. Are you, are you with me? I know these guys. So I'm sitting on the sideline thinking, what the hell is going on here? But I'm not getting involved until I read that Brian Kramer has issued a subpoena, several subpoenas in this crap I was just reading to you. What in the world is he doing involved in anything? I'm very suspicious of him. And a lot of people are because he criminalized a civil case, a lot of people think. And the boss hot Brotos Riles thing. We got that on record. We got that on sworn testimony. And enter this liar. Booby Barba, what is her name? Bobby J. Franks. I've looked into her. She has made statements as a liar. Let me see if I can run across them. There's so much crap here. Um, she has made statements. Frank's Bobby J. B.J. Frank is representing a couple of these deputies, okay? She sent a notice to the sheriff's office on behalf of these people she's representing, alleging that Yeager had violated Butcher's rights under Florida law by investigating the complaint himself ASO policy states that the complaint should have been referred to Butcher's immediate supervisor because Yeager had a conflict as the complainant. Oh, really? How about paying for evidence that the cops used, which was the case, and you're a party to the complaint? Are you kidding me? 
by ordering Butcher to respond to him in writing within 24 hours, and by failing to properly advise her of the nature of the investigation. And of course, the lawyer or Elantra Sheriff's Office says, you better watch making frivolous abuse of the court system. This is the issue. I think when the Sheriff's Department, and they will, file their reply to this, what's going to happen is you're going to see a frivolous use of the court system by the liar B.J. Franks. Now, let me tell you a little bit about her. Apparently, and if I'm wrong, somebody correct me, there's a precedent for her approach this way, this strategy that she's using of getting the state attorney involved in a personnel issue at the sheriff's department. Okay. Now, in the case I referred to when I chaired our investigation at Santa Fe years ago, we opened it up ourselves. There was no state attorney involved. We didn't criminalize a personnel issue. From what I can understand, the only way this can be criminalized, possibly, unless there's something else, is for this B.J. Franks to allege that in the Bill of Rights, Florida Statute 112.532, the investigation, because there is a penalty in that statute for improperly running a, an internal investigation, evidently, this Franks has convinced the state attorney if that's the case, buddy, B.J. Franks and Brian Kramer better be right. They had better be right or otherwise. Are we not going to add this to the precedent of criminalization of a civil matter in a real estate commission argument? which really was a personnel argument. It was a personnel argument. Bossart didn't want Riles to leave. Riles had an agreement to leave anytime he wanted to. He started Bossart's division that he chaired. He sold Southern Realty to Bossart. When he sold it to her, he had the agreement, if I want to leave, I can. Well, she didn't want him to leave. He's too productive. What's that doing in the courts? And then the damn school board gets involved. They have no business getting involved. By the way, Carly Simon just flipped the house she bought for $300,000, I'm told, on good sources. Bought for three hundred dollars and sold for eight hundred. dollars 
Check that out one time. Nothing illegal. So this is an employment issue. It happens all the time. I've been involved in dozens of them. The only thing here that was different, we kept it out of the press. Because we knew what the press would do. They're trying to sell papers. This Andrew Kaplan, he got a big front page deal today about people. You know who's behind putting those people up? Sadie Darnell. Sadie Darnell got that living tar beat out of her by Clovis Watson and ain't got over it. She's got people still in that organization. What do you think is going on there? And by the way, those are Democrats running against a Democrat sheriff. What does that tell you? A black Democrat sheriff. And by the way, I haven't heard of one ASO deputy beating somebody up on the side of the road or tasing somebody or behaving improperly. And there are many good things that ASO has done they haven't publicized. They need to publicize to keep this from being tried in the press. Now, at the college, we never released any statements from that college unless they came out of our public information office. And if an individual went and got a liar, we instantly countered it. We didn't ever let it get there. Because once it gets into the media, then it becomes a political football. You remember Carly Simon and Scott Burton and all that business over who was going to run the camp director job. Got into the papers. Then it got criminalized. Sad deal. Sad deal. There also is a suggestion by some of my people I've talked to. B.J. Franks would like to have Brian Kramer's job. And maybe Brian Kramer went along with issuing subpoenas to satisfy somebody wanting his job. I don't know. I've been told that by people on the inside. So listen, I know all the people involved, but don't read, don't believe everything you read in the newspapers. Because you won't find out the truth. Wait until it works its way through the court system. 
Look at what happened with Brotos and Riles. Allsart had to pay a million dollars. If you'd have listened to the school board and if you'd have listened to the newspapers, you would have thought that Riles and Brotos would have paid Allsart a million dollars. No, Allsart paid them. And the school board had no case. Chapter 112.532 in order statutes. Judge Donna Kime, who's a good judge, says at least demonstrate a preliminary basis for relief. Well, it's just a preliminary. Donna Kime had to sit there and listen to a lot of crap in the Grotos Riles case, too, in the preliminary stages. So I didn't get involved, I didn't get interested until I saw Kramer issued subpoenas. That raised a red flag with me. Hey, if I'm wrong, I'll be the first to admit it. Latrell Simmons has been put up by Sadie Darnell. I'll let you put two and two together. Sadie Darnell. supported Andrew Gillum. Okay? Sadie Darnell, as the sheriff, marched in the Black Lives Matters parade. Hello. I know Sadie Darnell. I've known her since high school. Always been nice to me. I'm just telling you. Well, I'm showing you. I'm not telling you. I don't tell you anything. I'm showing you. That this is the way these games are played. So those are my comments for the time being on all this. And we'll see how it works itself through the courts. Thank you for listening to the Word Scott Files. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.